The following is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. More teaching like this can be found at graceteaching.net or searching Grace-Oriented Teaching wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here is our speaker. Take your Bibles this morning and let's go to Titus uh, chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I hope you've been enjoying this study in Titus, not because I'm teaching it, but because it's just always when you turn to the Word of God, and hopefully we try to let the Word of God speak uh, for what God has to say to us here in His Word, not hidden messages between the lines or anything like that, but just kind of plainly what's written there on the page. hope that this has been encouraging and challenging. If you remember, we've spent five weeks in verses 1 through 10 looking at instructions to these different groups of people in the church. Instructions to the older men, to the older women, to the younger women, to the younger men, and the slaves. And the significance of each one of those is because that's kind of the way you'd break down a church group. Those are the different kind of groups that you would have in a church. We don't have slaves today, but I think we all understand, and we kind of talked about that last week, that there is some limitation between being a slave and an employee, but there is maybe some crossover a little bit in that. But all of this is going to lead into our text that we're looking at today because verse 11 in your English Bibles all begins with for. In other words, the reason for teaching these people how to live. And so many times, if you remember a few weeks ago, remember when I pulled that that the English text up or the Greek text, and I and I was showing you, I highlighted all those places that this word for a saved frame of mind, a saved attitude was used in Titus. And it's most of the time in the New Testament, it occurs in the book of Titus. And he uses different forms of that through this passage. And there's a reason for having this saved frame of mind, and it comes down to, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, which we're going to kind of kind of go through that, what that means. In fact, in the process of studying this, seriously, for the first time in having used this verse for I don't know how many years to understand this, in the process of studying for this about a month and a half ago, I came to a different conclusion on part of what verse 12 or verse 11 means, and I shared it with my wife, and my wife kind of looks at me like, duh. She was nice about it, but you know what I mean? She's just kind of like, yeah, that's what it means. And I'm like, man, that's not the way I've been reading it all these years. And so we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. <clears throat> so when we start this out, I think it's important for us, first of all, to understand, for us, we're going to hit this again here as a point, but we all live by grace. I think we're all agreed on that. That's God's house rule for us. I just have to say, if you say that, that grace is our way of life, and what that really means, you're going to have lots of Christians that are going to look at you and go, what? They're all going to say, you live by grace, and they're all going to go, oh yeah. And you're going to say, and that means we don't live under the law. And they're going to start going, what? And we don't live by the Ten Commandments. What? Because most Christians, most Christians, I'm talking about believers, are taught in churches that we ought to be living by, by law, at least in part. And the Ten Commandments are a good guide for Christian living. And I would say the Ten Commandments are not a good guide for Christian living. Because we have something that just totally eclipses and blows the Ten Commandments out of the water. Yeah. 
we're going to address this. Having said all that, God's grace or God expressed grace throughout history, right? I mean, we're not the first people to experience grace. God's demonstrated grace in the Old Testament. In fact, the word that's translated grace in the Old Testament is the word ken. That's a hard ch, by the way, not a k. That's <laughs> the way you learned it in seminary. But a hard ch sound, ken. And we get the word Hannah from it. Okay, Hannah, we say Hannah. And it comes from that grace. But that actually, to some degree, that kind of grace could be earned. There's another word in the Hebrew, and I just listened to a friend of mine go through a word study on this at the Bible conference down in Titusville, Florida, and it's the word kesed, and our Bibles translate it loving kindness and faithful kindness and such like that. And that actually, that word is closer to our idea of grace than the word that oftentimes is translated grace in the Old Testament. Anyway, so God has been gracious, really gracious with people in the Old Testament. But the key thing is God did not govern their lives. He did not do that by grace in the past. That's something that started on the day of Pentecost. Even though those people at the day of Pentecost didn't know that, God was already doing it with them. But in the past, that was not their way of life. Our way of life is the grace of God. It's one of the hardest things for us as Christians to wrap our minds around. In fact, Jeremy was leaned over to me during Jim's Sunday school class, and, and Jim had talked about, why do we have that command, don't love the world system? Because it sounds like law. And Jeremy leans over, he goes, it's not law, because law is also punitive. Meaning, if you love the world system, you're in trouble for it if you were law. And it's not law. Why does he say, don't do that over there? Not as a law. Because there are people that were doing it, and how else do you tell them to not do it other than to say, cut it out? That's, it's, it, it doesn't fit. And that's what we're going to see here, is that when we're talking about the way grace trains us to live, it's really going to show us that there are certain things that don't fit with grace. This don't make sense. And it's not that you're going to get spanked for them, because that would be not grace. And then the next, and the last thing is God does govern our lives by grace. Let's go over to, from here, to Ephesians chapter 3. Just keep your finger here in Titus, but turn to Ephesians 3 and verse 2. And we could look at, we'll look at some other verses before we're done today. But Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2, Paul says, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship, the house rule, the dispensation. There's a lot of ways this word is translated. Some people even have management or administration. But it's a word meaning the house rule. It means the standard by which you are able to get the benefits that are in a house. So just to be clear on this, I think you all understand this because we've hit this before. But this is... This is a, a, something that we didn't, that we don't particularly understand. But every household here has kind of some house rules. And some of your house rules may be different than another person's house rules. Okay? So, um, as, uh, just as an example from the Old Testament, then what they did was you had an owner of a house. He owns this house. But he doesn't manage it all. He has a manager. And that manager's is in charge of meeting out the resources that are in that house. That resources would have been, here's the money to go buy food for the week. Here's the food you get for the week. Here's the, the, your clothing allowance for a year. If you move to New Testament times as an example of this, if you were a slave in a household, the most slave owners, this was the, the norm, most slave owners 
gave their slaves one new change of clothes a year. One new change of clothes. I think you must have taken care of those well, because my wife would tell you I would go through those in, if I, especially if I were doing slave labor, I'd probably go through those in about a month, because I have a tendency to tear my clothes up really bad when I'm doing stuff. But they got a change of clothes, and so that's meted out to them. That's meted out. It's, it's given to them. But there's a standard. Well, then there's the household that receives that. And there's the standard in which the manager is told by the household owner, this is what they have to do. So under law, how did you get God's provisions? How do you get God's benefits? You obeyed the law. And in fact, under the household law rule of law, if you didn't do those benefits, remember, you got spanked. You got in trouble. You came under curses. Under grace, what do you do to to get those things taken away. Nothing, because it's grace. You don't earn them, and you can't lose them. That's the whole nature of grace. And that makes Christians stand on their heads. <laughs> it makes us spin around and go, what? This doesn't, this doesn't make sense, because we live in a world. Our world operates by law. In fact, Paul says that in Colossians, and he says it in Galatians. Those are the basic elementary principles of the world. Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. It's the things you start off with little kids. I've got a grandson. I don't know what it is about that kid, but if he can put it in his mouth, it goes in his mouth. He's got to try everything. He's walking yesterday. We're FaceTime. He's got a flashlight. <laughs> like, what is with you? <laughs> you know? But so what do you do all the same? Don't put that in your mouth. Don't Because some things, you know, you're playing with toy. Okay, that's fine. But there's some things. Don't put that in your mouth. Yuck. Okay. Can I tell a gross story? We had friends when we were in seminary, and their little kid came in the back door. He was about, not quite two, and he comes walking. He's got slug slime all over, and he's got half a slug in his hand. He <laughs> picked up, out, if you've ever lived in Oregon. See, don't put that in your mouth. Basic elements of the world system. And this is going to be important for something we're going to point out in just a minute. So let's go back over there to Titus, and let's talk a little bit about what, what he says in this verse, he says, first of all, the grace of God has appeared. That right there tells you he's not talking about grace in general. He's talking about grace specifically as our way of life. Because grace had been around in the Old Testament, but it hadn't appeared as a way of life. It's our way of life. I don't know how many, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But I'm just wondering how many of you, when you actually discovered and understood Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Boom. That when you finally understood what that said, which is not a complicated statement, but when you got it, it just blew your mind. Because we're not raised in a world that says there's no condemnation. Our world is waiting for people to step out of line. They, start, they put patrol cars out on here on the highway because they know that there's people that are going to exceed that speed limit. They're going to go over eight the eight-mile-an-hour limit that they usually allow people. You know, not all of them do. They're going to do that kind of stuff, right? And so he says, now the grace of God has appeared. That's, we, we've got these, all these new things that are going on with us. And he says, it is, now this is the way New American Standard reads, bringing salvation to all men. The Greek is just literally saving, and that's a noun. That's not a verb. It is saving. It has a saving quality to it with regard to all men. Now, the way I've taken that for years is that God's grace has the potential to save everybody in the world. I am not 
there are people that are hardline Calvinists. I'm not a Calvinist, period. But there are people that are hardline Calvinists that say that Christ died only for the elect. That is the traditional Reformed, covenant reform view. If you have people that you know that go to a covenant church, a church that has Reformed theology, they most likely hold to, because it's almost dominant, 90, probably 95% of them hold to the fact that Christ died only for the elect. So the unsaved guy that's going to hell, Christ never died for them. And that I've understood this verse to say, no, he died for everybody. And we have verses that say he died for everybody, but that's not what this verse is about. Because I believe what he's saying in this is, this, and this goes back to the introduction. Why do we have men, older women, younger women, younger men, slaves? Because that grace of God is saving towards all men. He's not talking about going from being an unsaved person to a saved person by believing in Christ. He's talking about being a saved person and being saved as you grow. I believe that's what he's talking about. And that's the thing. I sort of, that's You were not here, Peggy, when I, said, when I made that comment that and I told you this. When I was studying a month and a half ago, you kind of looked at me with, oh, you did hear that. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember if you came back in. And, I was, and she was kind of like looking at me like, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what it's about. And I'm like, man, I haven't understood it like that. I always thought it was kind of like an anti-particular redemption verse. But it's actually a verse that's talking about believers. So I believe the all men in the context is talking about all the believers. The older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women. I mix those two up there. And the, the slaves. In other words, the whole point, and we could, he could have added categories to those, but it covers everybody. God's grace is saving towards all of us as believers. All of us as believers. You know why that's important? Because there are some people, and I, you get this, that when you try to teach them about the grace of God and somebody has been living under the Ten Commandments, that they will, they will make comments like this. But, you know, I was living under the Ten Commandments, but, and that was okay, I think, wasn't it? Wasn't that okay? And I'm like, no, it wasn't okay. <laughs> it wasn't the way God designed it. And God's not going to smack you for being under the law, for trying to live under the law. But guess what? While you're trying to live that way, you're not growing. Because you only grow or mature when you're living by grace. It's the only way that you grow. So that means, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to stick my neck out, but that means every one of us in here has gone through times in life, in our Christian life, where we didn't grow even though we were trying to do the right things because we were living by a law system. We might have even taken Christian truths, but we turned them into law. By saying, if I do this, I get blessed. If I do that, I'm going to get in trouble. But in reality, God deals with us by grace. And yeah, is there discipline in there? We're not here to talk about it. There is some discipline. But I still am strongly of the opinion, as self, even though he talks about discipline about five times in the New Testament, I don't think it's God's first recourse. I think God's dealing with us by grace. He's, he, Paul says... And Peter both, God's long-suffering or patient with us and really patient with us. And I look at my life and I'm saying, and really, really, really patient with us before there's ever uh, a walk out to the woodshed, if you know what I mean. So his grace has appeared and it's bringing salvation or it's saving towards all men. That's talking about every one of us in here. When we grow, when we mature, it's going to always be by grace. We are never going to mature when we're trying to live by law. 
So if you lived for 10 years trying to keep law or a law that you made up, you didn't grow during that time. Generally, does that mean there was no growth? No, you might. There might have been little times where you kind of got you. You didn't know you were relating to grace truth, but you were kind of relating to grace truth, and God was growing you little bits. But you weren't growing when you were trying to live by the law. Does that, does that make sense? What we're trying to say? Okay. So, um, last thing then before we kind of take this other take a just a little sideline here. God's grace is his attitude by which he does or gives us what we do not deserve. Plain and simple. I, I know a lot of times we, we I kind of clarify the end. He does it without regard to whether we deserve it. But you know, with regard to you and I, we don't deserve it. <laughs> so for us, we can say that. But it does. I, 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 I think maybe sometimes we ought to clarify whether or not we deserve it or not. Because sometimes, you know, when you're living the way you're, the way you're supposed to live down here as a believer, you really are living by grace. You know what? God gives you other stuff, and it's not because you're living by grace. <laughs> it's because he's dealing with you by grace. Because if he gave, said, oh, you're living by grace, so I'm going to give you other stuff, then that would be something you're deserving, and he doesn't do it that way. So this is what God's grace is. If somebody says, what, what, what is God's grace? You say, it's his attitude in which he gives us or deals with us, and he doesn't, doesn't pay attention to whether we deserve it or not. And then I always want to clarify, and for most of us, we don't deserve it. <laughs> okay. I should maybe, well, anyway, chase that. Having said that, having said that, I'm going to read some stuff. I took a lot of time listening to this and trying to do my best to to write this down as it was stated. But there was a speaker, and I and I do not want to get a fight with this person or anybody else. And it's somebody, some of you might know who this guy is. He's famous, way famous. He's written books. Pastor's a, uh, he's conservative. It's not Joel Olstein. I was going to say he's from Texas. People go, Joel Olstein? No, it's not him. This is a conservative guy. But he's reformed, Southern Baptist. And he was doing a message on grace upon grace, and he comes to this text in John 1, and he's over in Romans 6 at this time. And I've got a long quote, so just you're going to listen to this. I've got, if you want to listen to this on your own, although I'm not encouraging you to go home and do so, I've got the timestamps written down on my notes for myself of where this starts to listen to. But I'm just going to read these. So just follow along. Because this, you need to understand, this is what, this is what a lot of Christianity, even evangelical Christianity, gets. So he's talking about the end of Romans 5, where it says, and where the sin nature expands, grace abounds even more. So he says, right after that verse, Paul says, shall we sin all the more so that grace may abound? That's Romans 6.1. And he says, may it never be. Now, this is, this is him, this is not scripture. Really, if you do some language work, baloney, there's no language work going on in here. Jim went over one of these this morning, and I looked at it, and I was thinking, that's an example right there that what he says is not right. But those people go, oh, he did language work on this. If you do language work on him, you hear him say, you really don't believe if you live like that. <clears throat> you get that? His view is, if you think, if you think that you can live in sin so that you get more grace, he says, you're not a believer. And that is not what that statement means. What, what Paul says there in, in Romans 6, he says, may it never be. That statement in the Greek is, let that not come to be. 
That doesn't make sense to think like that. And he's talking about believers. He's not talking about unsaved people. He's talking about Christians that think, hey, I just get more grace while I'm also just sin. It's not whether you're a believer or not. Anyway, it goes on. So, if this is true, what are we to do with the law? What are we to do with all the thou's and thou shalt nots of Scripture, right? Because they're there. How can I say this in light of Jesus himself saying that none of the law will be removed? In fact, not a dot or a tittle will be removed. That he has fulfilled it. What do we do with that? We've talked about this before. That had to do with the fact that Jesus is telling the Jews, I didn't come to take the law away from you guys while he was in that ministry. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about us. What does it mean then if it is true that we are still commanded to do and not do? So he thinks we're still under commandments. Well, one of the things I've tried to say enough that it captivates your imagination is that all the commands of God in Scripture are about inviting you into the deepest life possible. Baloney. Paul tells us what the law was like because he lived under it and he tells us more than one time. I think he tells us at least four times in the New Testament the law was given to show you that you're a sinner, not to invite you into a deep life. Okay? I'm sorry, I get a little wound up. I apologize. I try to, try to stay calm down. King David would say it this way. The boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. And to some degree, I, that last part sounds pretty cool. Everybody's going, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think they know what it means. But I, to some degree, I would. he's misquoting David. He's taking David's statement out of context. But I would understand that the law, I mean, if Israel obeyed the law, guess what? It would have been a, it would have been a pleasant experience for them. Disobeying the law was unpleasant, right? Well, being made a slave to other people, having your crops destroyed by pestilence, that's no fun. Would you, like, would you like it if every time you raised a crop, bugs came in and ate the whole thing, Jeff? That would be no fun. Could you imagine all the orchards that you managed over the years, Gordon? If, if you know, Gordon disobeyed, God wipes out those orchards. There's no crop to show for it. Pretty soon the managers would say, or the, the, soup, the people over them would say, okay, we're going to find someone else to manage this. See, it, it's not good. It wouldn't have been fun. Anyway. That's such a beautiful way to think about the law of God. The boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. So here, here's how John sees the law. Look at verse 17. This is John 1, 17. Now he's talking about, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In this concept of grace upon grace, that we, what, what we see then is that this idea of the law given through Moses is tied to grace. So in John's mind, the law is a grace from God. And this is what I've heard many, many times, especially in reform circles where people are taught, yes, we're under grace. And so you talk to them and go, yeah, we live by grace. But they're being told in their church that the law is grace. So live by the Ten Commandments and that's grace. You get that? And it is not the grace of God. We're going to look at a couple verses before we're done. The law is not anti-grace, but the law is a form of grace. Scripture? No, there's no scripture that says this. Where God informs us by his law of right living that pleases him and is good for us. So if we simplify the law down to the Ten Commandments, we talk about this a lot. The Ten Commands are pretty easy stuff. Don't kill nobody. That's a paraphrase. Don't take stuff that's not yours. It's like you'd how to talk to a child, which I stopped and I'm thinking, because that's exactly what Paul says the law is. It's like talking to the little babies. 
He says that in Galatians and he says it in Colossians. If you live by law, if you as a Christian, you people listen to this, if you try to put yourself under law or make up your own law, essentially you're saying, I'm a little infant sucking my thumb and I need someone to lead me around by the hand. Because that's exactly what Paul says about it. That's because you don't mature. Ah, don't worship things that are not God's. Don't touch another man's woman or spouse. Don't make accusations against God that he doesn't care for you and he doesn't provide for you. So you have this grace. There's a little pause in there. So you have this grace which God is letting us know how God works, which he's not doing today. He's not doing that. You can obey the law all you want and you're not going to get blessed more than somebody else and disobey the law and you're not going to get cursed because not, God's not doing that. And as a created being, where would we be if God did not lay before us his way of life and we were left to our own devices? Where would we be if we were left to figure it out? In other words, his mind is, how would you figure out how to live the way God wants if you didn't have the law and the Ten Commandments? And I would say, you know what? The Gentiles came into the church and the church did not put them under law. And Paul did not teach them to live by law. And those people learned, like the Thessalonian believers in Thessalonians, where their lives turned around and they, out of faith, they served believers. Out of love, that work became laborious. They sweat out of love for other people. Some people did that for me this week. They did a work from faith, and they literally perspired out there, right? I think if you weren't sweating, I don't know what was going on because I was soaked. I was soaked an hour into every day's job. Anyway, and then, and then this happened too. This week, I don't, I don't mean to keep focusing on this week, but then the last thing is, and then there's a patience that comes from hope. And the hope of people being able to help complete a job on behalf of Peggy and I and everybody on the church in general doing that. That hope caused people to take things patiently because did everything go right all the time? Were there times we got something cut and it's like, no, <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> Are there times that things broke and people almost fell to their, well, not their demise, that's not a little dramatic, but they could have been injured. Nobody was injured, see? So, yeah, you had to have patience in all of that. And Paul says that they were patient. And Paul says, you guys turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Why? Because Paul said, get away from those idols. No, because they realized, these didn't offer me salvation. He saved me. Why? You don't have to tell them to leave idols. You just, you just show them who Jesus Christ is. And they're so amazed by who God is. It's like, why would I want to mess around with these guys? They don't do anything. Like Isaiah says, or I think it's David actually makes a statement. You know what they are? They sit there and you walk up to the idol and you pray to them, idol, please help me find a wife. The idol doesn't have a mouth. It can't open it. They've got carved ears, but they don't hear a thing. It's just sound hitting a block of wood or a piece of metal or a stone. That's all it is. And so they turn to the God that actually hears and listens and saves them. Just First Thessalonians, it's just such a... Uh, anyway, so let's take a look at some grace verses. Let's turn to Romans chapter 6, 14. Anyway, sorry to make you have to live through all that, but I've told you before, you get people that say this stuff, but I just thought, you know what? I'm going to give you these, this quotation from this, 
from the middle of this. And I tried carefully. I listened to this whole message thinking, oh, he'll redeem himself. And he never does. He's trying to teach people about living by grace, but in the end, he comes back to the fact that living by grace is really living by law. So Romans chapter 6, verse 14, a verse we use a lot, says, For sin shall not be a master or lord it over you, for you're not under law, but you're under grace. If, if the law is grace, then that verse makes no sense. Because he says you're not under this, but you're under this. And if they're the same thing, if this book represents law, and law is grace, for me to be not under law means I'm over here, but wait a second, I'm under grace, and that is, so what is it? And obviously he's not talking about physically being under an object, but he's talking about it's, you're not under it as your guiding principle, as the thing that tells you how to live. And so he says you're not under law. And by the way, he says, you adults, I, I know, I'm saying this to everybody. I just, I, I'm sorry, I, I hope I don't offend you adults by saying this, but I keep thinking about the young people in here. I keep thinking of Clinton's, you're, still, you're a young man, Clinton, but man, you're, you're an adult. He's going to be out of here in just a little while. <laughs> the influence that we've hopefully had, it, it's going to be, he's going to have to carry that, and he's going to have to be responsible for making those, well, you, you always have to, right? But I just, I think about these young people, and I'm thinking, you young people, to get this, you're going to spend probably most of your life, just ask your parents, do they struggle with moving between law and grace? It's like it's so easy to step over here into some rules. And, oh, wait a second, I'm living by rules again. Let's get back over here and start relating to the benefits of grace. And it's so easy to move into that that you're going to have to constantly spend your life as a believer reminding yourself of who God is by grace, what he's doing for us by grace, and the provisions. With that, then, let's go to Galatians chapter 4. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 4. Notice what he says. Because remember, the issue in Galatians is these, these, these Gentiles that want to turn to the law. And they want to turn to the law because they've had some Jewish people come along and say, hey guys, you know, Paul gave you some good stuff. They're not coming along, Paul is wrong. They're not doing that. They're coming along and saying, Paul told you some good stuff. He just didn't tell you everything. Isn't that the way you sell a person on something? You don't want to just come out right out and say, Paul was, Paul was wrong. Well, Paul just didn't tell you everything. You need to be circumcised, and you need to keep the law. And Paul says, hey, you know when you do that? He, this is what he asks him. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And let's go to verse, we'll just read verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, I love this, or rather are known by God, you ever been around somebody and you're with somebody and, you're, and you, tell, you tell a friend, oh, I know this person over here. And you walk over and say hi and the person kind of looks at you like, do I know you? And they're thinking, yeah, you know me. I'm, and they're like, oh, yeah, okay. You're kind of like, oh, that's embarrassing. And I, I, I told them I know them, but they don't remember me. But he says, you could say you know God, but the big thing is, is that God knows you. Anyway. So he goes on to be known by God. How is it that you turn back to the weak and worthless elemental things? And he's talking about the basic principles of the world system. This is the same language that he uses in Colossians 2. To which you again desire to be enslaved. And is he talking about law? Yeah, because you observe days and months and seasons and years. See, because the law had all those systems set up. 
I fear for you that perhaps I've labored over, labored over you in vain or with no goal, no purpose. There was no purpose to what I was doing, what I was sharing with you guys. You want to go back to that? So just think about that. Every time you want to turn to law, I'm talking to you, Clinton, because <laughs> he doesn't want to be under the law, but I'm just going to choose him because I was picking on him a minute ago. I picked on you a couple weeks ago. I need to quit doing this. But let, let's say he goes out. He goes out to do these things. And I just, just know you want to be your own person, right? You want to make your own decisions. You want to be able to be this. It's part of being an adult, right? You don't have to go to mom and dad all the time and say, can I do this? You know, hey, I want to go do this. Is that okay? You just want to, you want to make those decisions. But the problem is, you know what? When you turn to law, it's basically like saying, I can't make these decisions anymore. So law, you make those decisions for me. You know? And if this is the way he comes home on leave to see his family and he's acting like this, you're all going to go, dude, what's going on? <laughs> you know, this is not the way you were trained to live under law. But it's important because we all can do that. I'll, I'll not pick on you again today. Okay. All right. At least I'll try not to. So turn to Colossians chapter two, Colossians chapter two. And I'm, we could spend a lot of these, um, Josh, I don't know, a few let's say four years back or so, Josh went through a whole bunch of things on the law and I had a list. It was really, I opened my little book with my list and I was comparing it to Josh and Josh had a few more things on his list than I did, but a lot of it matched. And there were the things about what is true of the law and things that are not true about the law and things that don't apply to us. And it's, it's really good for us to understand. So I'm giving you just a smattering, just a little smattering, but notice what he says here in Colossians chapter two, verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the basic elementary principles of the world system or the world, why, as if you're living in the world, are you submitting yourself to its decrees such as, remember I already quoted these earlier, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, right? Those are laws that you give to your little kids when you're raising them. Don't touch that. Don't do that. My grandson, he couldn't even walk, and he already figured out outlets, things go in there. So he'd see something that was unplugged, and he'd be over there trying to figure out how to stick that plug in the outlet. He had that figured out. Lacked the coordination to actually pull it off. Or he'd see those little covers, you know, mom and dad's put on the outlets so kids can't put their finger. He'd see one laying on the floor because they'd unplugged it and plugged something in, didn't put it back. Guess what he's doing over there? Trying to stick that in the plug-in. And you have to tell this child, it's not even a year old, don't touch that. Don't do that. I have an aunt, my mom's sister that's closer to an age, closer to an, her in age. And this is back when girls used to wear bobby pins all the time. Maybe they still do, I don't know, but they used to wear them. And she used to take bobby pins and she used to stick them in the outlets. And she didn't call them sockets. She knew they were called sockets, but she called them shockets. Because guess what happened to her? She got shocked a few times, sticking bobby pins in there. And eventually, when you have little kids that are persistent with that, if you're a wise parent, you don't just don't say no. Eventually, you go over there, and you take the little child, and you go, and you give just enough so that they're like, ah, that hurts. And, just, and, you know, and then you say, don't touch. And then if you have a child like I did, then they're defiant, and they go back over to the thing you just got after them for, and they're like, 
Yeah, I was still, probably told her that, but I still remember Katie Crawler was a speaker, not a thing, but she put her, she got in trouble and she put her hand up to the speaker and I thought, man, she's going to do it again. Then the defiance comes, turns around and looks right at me. Am I going to get away with this? You know, no. <laughs> but you do that, right? That's, that's little kid stuff. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That's law. And what did the law say? That's unclean. Don't taste that. That's unclean. Don't put that in your mouth. That person's dead. You don't mess around with that. Don't do these things. Hands off. Because, well, one of my professors in seminary had a, there was a comic strip. I don't remember what it was called, but it was always, every Sunday, it was a one-panel comic strip in the, in the Sunday paper. It always had these kind of funny, lumpy characters in there. And uh, they've got Moses standing up front with, uh, with the Ten Commandments like this. And he's standing out in front of the crowd. And somebody from the crowd, the heckler, yells out, what are we supposed to do then? <laughs> Because it's all don't, 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 don't. And we know that the law has things, things they were supposed to do. But it, but it is a lot. It's a lot of thou shalt nots. It's a lot of thou shalt nots. And Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. We're going to go back to verse 3. It says, For not knowing about God's righteousness... And seeking to establish their own, he's talking about the people of Israel, they did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God would have been what David came to in Romans 4, where he said, I can't do this. I'm going to have to be counted righteous and forgiven apart from the law. And so Paul says, for Christ now is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See that? If you're a believer, Christ has ended the law. So when you put yourself under law, it's like Christ looking at you going, um, say, Tim, uh, I, I took care of that. I finished that. What are, you, what are you trying to do? Do you think I didn't do a good enough job? You're, you're trying to do what I already took care of? I mean, did you ever stop to think about that? When we're doing the law, it's, it's kind of... It's kind of it's really not a lot different than when you talk to unsaved people and you share the gospel and, and they think, well, I got to be a good person. And you're like, Christ did it all. Oh, but I should be a good person to get to heaven is what you're telling me. And it says, no, I'm telling you, Christ did it all. And when they do that, it's, it's almost like an insult to Christ to say, well, he apparently didn't do it all if you think you got to be good enough. And when you as a Christian are trying to do what he's taken apart, what he has disassembled for you and I, and that's not a message he gave to Israel. That is a message for us in the church. That's why it's called a mystery. But that speaker that I was quoting earlier apparently doesn't understand what a mystery is. Maybe he does. I don't know. But uh, should be a little bit nicer. But oh, I tell you, it just it was a lot when I listened to that guy a month or so ago. But the whole point is, is he says, "Your Christ has ended it. He is the end of the law for righteousness." The law does not establish my righteousness. It does not establish your righteousness. Where is my righteousness? I don't think I have another one on here. Let's go over to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When I first learned about who I was in Christ, I had three things that I knew. Three things that I went over again and again and again. I remember going up to the Redeker dining hall. Sit up there in the morning. 
pour up my bowl of Fruit Loops because I didn't know that eating sugary syrup wasn't good for me. Anyway, pour up my bowl of Fruit Loops, get my breakfast, sit down there to eat this stuff in the morning, and I'm thinking, I am a dead one with Christ to the sin nature, and I am a living one to God in Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.21, he, the Father, made him, that is Christ, who did not know sin, to be sin in our place so that we might become... I just would go with the King or the New American Standard, the righteousness of God in him. In Christ, I'm righteous. This verse. Those were the three things I, when I first learned about who I was in Christ, those were the three things I remember that I went over again and again on a daily basis. I, really, I didn't always do those. Peggy probably could t testify that there were times that I definitely did not relate to those truths. That she saw that old part of me. But... When I'd relate to these, it'd be just, man, what a difference it would make in the way I would think. See, Christ is my righteousness today, not the law. The law is not your righteousness. It's who you are in Christ. And not only is that true in Christ, but it's also true that as you operate in Christ, that you can actually do righteous activity that's, that just very simply are a reflection of what God's doing. He's doing the work. It's John 3.21, but we're not going to go there. So, we're not going any further with this today. This is where we're going to stop, okay? I know you probably all wanted to go more, but uh, I kind of marked this. This is where I wanted to stop Stop today. For us just to stop and think about, think about what does this mean when it says that grace trains us? And understanding that it means that we're not under the law. We're not under the law. And what does that look like? It means we're not under law. It means that God says these good things about us in Christ. I've got a list of some good things about us in Christ that we're going to come back. We're going to work through just a few of those good things that God says about us in Christ. But we'll save those for next for next week, maybe. I may be here next week. I'm not for sure yet. We're still That's still in the works. We'll find out. You may have a question, comment to throw out at the end since I'm letting you out way too early. I feel guilty feel like I'm giving you a bologna sandwich when you should be getting roast beef sandwich or something. Is that law? What? <laughs> What'd you say? Is that law? Yeah, that is probably law. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we are so very thankful for your grace. It's easy for us to talk about it. We realize it is a challenge sometimes for us to let go of trying to live by law. Uh, kind of seems to come with our fallen nature that we always want to try to prove to you that we can do everything you ask, just like Israel did. But you really have indeed given us so much greater things and so much by your grace. And uh, just ask each and every one of us here, Lord, that we would be listening to your spirit because we know he doesn't lead us to the law. That we'd be listening to him as he calls us to who we are in Christ, to just remember who we are in Christ and be able to not go there, sit down and remember who you are in Christ, but that he calls us to come and rest there in Christ. Because Jesus Christ indeed has done it all, and he is our righteousness. We are so thankful for your great grace to us in Christ, your great grace to us in giving us regeneration. You have been so abundantly gracious to us and continue to be, and we thank you for that then. Amen. Who is that?